Remain standing. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. And thank you so much for a great worship service. How God blesses. And how I feel like we are ready to receive a word from the Lord. The, um, the other night, Thursday night, Christmas Eve um, night, I got into the closet and was cleaning it out because I knew that on Christmas Day we would be having our homeless meal and, and a lot of these guys are more my size. So uh, I was in there busy cleaning out, going through the closet, getting shirts and pants and, and, and different items, shoes, things that I had, had sitting in that closet for some time. In fact, to be honest with you, I'm just going to tell the truth. Our closet was so cluttered that you couldn't get in there to pray. Okay, and uh, so it took a lot. Of, in fact, I looked at Sheila. I said, "Look, we're not going to buy you nothing else until you clean this out." But uh, the truth is, it was both of us. It was all our stuff, and so we began to go through there. We began to look at some things that that as we were going through, we thought, you know, we don't wear this anymore, and and it's still good. It's still it's still great. I I had a couple of really nice jackets, and I got tickled of one of the homeless guys. I hadn't seen him in years. And all of a sudden he came in, he said, Brother Jeff, and we hugged and talked for a moment. A little while later, I saw him with my jacket, the jacket that I'd brought up here. And I thought, man, thank you, God. Just thank you so much. You know, but uh, I, I, I thought about that illustration because the reality is in our lives that a lot of times, if we're not careful over a year, our life can get cluttered with a lot of stuff. In fact, it can become so cluttered with a lot of stuff there can be so many things in our life, and if you think about your life like that prayer closet, you can get so much in that prayer closet that there's no room for you to go in there anymore and to really get along with God and really spend time in prayer. Sometimes we need to do inventory. Amen? Sometimes we need to come to this time of the year, and we need to take stock of our lives. We need to see what's on the shelf. We need to see what's in the closet and we need to do some cleaning up. So that's what we're talking about today. And we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Because Paul and Timothy are in a relationship, a mentoring relationship. Here you have Paul, that senior spiritual leader, that guide, who is taking this young man by the name of Timothy up under his arm, and he's kind of leading Timothy. He's mentoring Timothy. He's, he's helping Timothy to kind of find his way along. Okay? And so today what we're going to be talking about is not only taking inventory, but we're also talking about resolutions. Some people say that a resolution is in one year and out the other. You know, in reality... Me and you are a lot alike. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter you're sitting there and I'm standing here. The truth is, is that so often we see things in our life that we want to change. And we, at this time of the year, will make some resolutions. We'll begin to, we'll begin to say, you know, this is an area that I'm going to address and I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to, hey, listen, and I'm going to get it right this year. You ever done that? Then we come to the end of the year. Step on the scales. 
And, and we realize that we didn't do as good as we wanted to. Now, now, everyone stay with me. Most resolutions, most changes, most things that you and I want to implement into our lives will never be effective without someone to mentor and come alongside of us. Someone to hold us accountable. You can, I promise you this, most likely it won't work unless you have somebody alongside of you. And so remember that. Now, let's look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. Paul said this to Timothy. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do. Now listen to Paul. Here's a good mentor. He's giving this young man good guidance. Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Boy, you ought to underline that. Train yourselves to be godly. Now that just doesn't mean it's going to happen. That means you and I are going to have to be busy training ourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value. Okay? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. In other words, listen to this. You and I are not only on this pilgrimage, we are on this pilgrimage to bring other people along with us. This is what Paul's saying here. He says, command, verse 11, and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Young people, listen. What he's saying here is, is spiritual wisdom and maturity is not a chronological thing. I've met some youth, I've met some teenagers that are theologically deeper, far deeper than their parents. Okay? Because they have taken more seriously those words that they were trying to train themselves to be godly. Now, what he says, verse 12, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. You see it? Purity, perseverance, remember? Persevere in them. That means don't give up. Because if you do, if you persevere, Timothy, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much that You love us, Lord. We praise You. 
And Lord, we give you all glory. And Lord, 2010, wow. 2010. We have no idea what this year may hold. We may come to the end of this year and this sanctuary be filled to overflowing. We may come to the end of this year and this church have made a mark in this city that will change the course of spiritually of its direction forever. We don't know what this year may hold in the life, in the births, in the deaths, in the sickness, in the health. We don't know what may be in this year. We don't know what this year holds, but we know who holds this year. And so we trust you. Now, Lord, we pray that you speak to our hearts. And we give you the glory for what you'll do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I want you to think about this idea of inventory for a minute. I I just sat down kind of writing down some things earlier this week. When any business is doing inventory, what they're doing, they are taking stock or access or, or kind of assessing, you might say, what is on the shelf, okay? In other words, they're trying to determine what's on the shelf and how long it's been there. They're trying to deter- determine what needs to be restocked. In other words, what works, what sells. They're also trying to figure out what doesn't work, what needs to be discontinued or done away with. Okay? Now, you and I, in some ways, this time of the year, between Christmas and New Year, this is a great week for you and I to do inventory. For you and I to evaluate our lives. In other words, we evaluate what we have against the demands on our life. We evaluate the coming year and how we're going to go into that year. We begin to think about, you know, where do I want to be next year this time? Okay? We begin to think about uh, the past. Now, let me say this. This is a good time to put the past away. Okay? Paul said that he talked about, he said, I press forward, forgetting those things which are behind. Because see, the enemy, a lot of times in your life and my life, what he'd love to do is tie a lot of baggage and stuff that you can drag on through this next year. So there's some things that need to be put away. that You don't need to focus on the past. Now, I'm not saying you don't learn from it. If you don't learn from the past, you're destined to repeat it. But there's some things that we need to leave behind. This is, a, this is good in life. It's good to do inventory. But I want, to, I want you to think about this. Imagine this afternoon, if I got a few of you and I said, Hey, uh, come with me. You, y'all come go with me. And we got some of those, you know, those machines, those really nice calculating machines. We had those machines. And we had some tags and stickers hanging on us. And we went into the Pearl Walmart. And we went over into the, to the linen section, the tiles and all that, and we began to count them and put tags on them and going through there. And we just going at it. And what do you think would happen? They'd throw you out. The manager would come over and say, wait a minute, what are you people doing? We're not scheduled for an inventory yet. Where are you from? Well, we're, we're from Southside Baptist Church. We thought we'd come over and do inventory. 
You see, we laugh at that, but you know what the problem is in a room like this? Most of us start thinking about somebody else. We automatically start trying to inventory other people's lives. Now, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room taking an honest look at their life individually and saying, hey, I'm going to do inventory. What do I need to address? You see, God has not called you to do inventory in somebody else's life. So, let me encourage you right now to be honest with yourself. Okay, now first of all, let me ask you this question. Why do you think resolutions fail? Why do so often we come to this point in our life and we begin to look at the new year, and we think about the past year, and we begin to think about changes that we want to implement into our lives. But before long, we are hardly into January, and those resolutions, those disciplines have somehow been forgotten. I can tell you why. The problem is with so many of us is there's nobody to be accountable to. We have no accountability partner. We have no one to hold our feet to the fire. You see, this is the key with Paul. Paul, in fact, if you look at 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, what you find is Paul reaching out, taking Timothy under his wing, and, and keeping Timothy accountable, listen to this, right up to his death. In 2 Timothy, he's in prison, he's waiting to die, he will die. These are the last words that Paul ever penned. And still Paul is putting an arm around Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, let's take a look at your life and let's keep you accountable. Now it was a mutual thing. You may say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said, no, that, listen, that's true. You and I need to be accountable first of all for ourselves. But when we're trying to make a change in our life, then sometimes we need to reach over and grab somebody else and say, listen, I need you to help me here. Because I keep botching it. I keep messing it up. Now, now think about this. Listen to this quote. An accountability partner is not someone who has the same struggle that you have. And all God's people said, Amen. An accountability partner is not a person who has the same struggle that you have. Let me give you an example. Now, I know it's going to make you mad. I know you're not going to like it. But let's talk about dieting for a minute. Hey, how about we go on a diet? That sounds good to me. You know? I mean, the idea here is, and you see it so often, people will say, you know, I hear this all the time, we're going to go on a diet together. Well, folks, listen. If both of you are struggling in that area, then I can promise you this, it probably will not work. You'll be down at the Dairy Queen down here upsizing the combo with a Sunday on the side. That's like the biggest loser without Bob and Jillian on campus. That's just getting a group of people together and saying, hey, we're all going to put our heads together, or our stomachs together, and we're going to go on a diet. You see, you and I, we need somebody who is successful in that area that I'm struggling with. And we need to say to that person, listen, I see that you're having victory in this area. I'm not. You lost 100 pounds last year. How did you do it? And they'll look at you and go, well, I can tell you one thing, it wasn't easy. 
Man, it was tough. Well, can I ask you something? Would you come alongside of me and help me? Now, let me, let me say this, and stay with me here. Because I believe this is the failure of the church. You know, I, 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 and I forgot my chicken. I, I, Sheila and I went to Fads and Frames. She was looking for a Christmas tree, and, and they were on sale, so we bought a Christmas tree because ours had traveled all over the world, and it's dead. It's an artificial tree, but it's dead. Okay, I mean, it's got a hole in it that deep on the backside. I mean, it's, 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 it's gone. So we were, we were replacing this Christmas tree, and I was walking down just trying to kill some time while they were dis- we were buying one because it had been marked down because it was already assembled. They were taking it apart, so I thought I'd walk around. They had these metal chickens about this tall. And I thought, man, that would be, that would be a great tool for 2010. Just to bring that chicken every once in a while, set it up here up under the pulpit just to see what people would do. It's a a funny-looking chicken. It's about that tall. A metal chicken. And there were several of them. And I I, I, I started walking around with this chicken. I mean, I I got this chicken. I was walking around in fads and frame. And, uh, you know, and and walking around with this chicken. And I thought, boy, this is going to be great. In fact, what I'm going to do this year, I'm going to periodically just walk out in the congregation and hand that chicken to somebody like John Williams and say, John, when was the last time that you shared your faith with somebody? And we're going to find out whether he's a chicken or not. It'd really keep you on your toes, wouldn't it? Man, I hope that guy didn't come in. If he comes in with that chicken, I'm out of here. Fellowship time, I'm gone. When I'm walking around in that chicken, and I th- I'm walking around with that chicken, and, and, and I came up to uh, the lady who was helping us because Sheila found something else to buy. We, had, we were minus a wise man for our nativity scene. They had one. They were going to mark it down. So Sheila's negotiating a deal. So I'm standing there with my chicken while Sheila's negotiating this deal with a wise man. And, and uh, finally this woman does this. And, 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 and I look at the woman and, and, and I, said, uh, I said, you wouldn't give any kind of discount on this chicken, would you? And she said, no. She says, it's already marked down. I said, but it's for our church. She said, well, I don't care if it's for your church or not. It's this bottom, less bottom price right there. And then she said, and then she made me, she said, what are you going to do with the chicken? I said, well, you know, Christians. I said, you know, we're such big chickens. I said, we don't, we're not brave. We're not, you know, the Bible says in Acts 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And I say, you know, we're just, we're just not very brave about our faith. We, we don't tend to share our faith. And then all of a sudden you feel the Holy Spirit, you know, the way they do. Well, why don't you ask her, big boy? You know, why don't you just ask her? So I said, uh, well, let me ask you that. I said, in light of that, I said, are you a Christian? You know the way people look like they're offended when you ask them? You ever notice that? that that's happening more and more now. I mean, she looked like I'd offended. It looked like I'd slapped her or something. She said, well, yeah, yes, I am. I said, well, that's good. That's good. So we're walking on up. Sheila's got her wise man. I got my chicken. We're going up to the register following this woman. And so I said, well, where do you go to church? She turned and looked at me as if, man, I mean, I had just thrown cold water on. She said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I smiled and looked at her. I said, even these are in flocks. Talking about the chicken. Even the chicken's in a flock. I said, cows are in a herd, lions are in a pride, people are in families. I said, ma'am, you need the church. I said, maybe that'd be a good New Year's resolution for you to find a church. 
You see, sometimes in the body of believers, the problem is we forget we are a body. We are a flock. We come together like sheep coming together. And there needs to be, if we're going to make life changes, there needs to be accountability between us. Sometimes we need to say to each other, will you help me in this area of my life? Now real quickly, what makes an accountability partner successful? What makes accountability successful? What makes it successful? Number one, is there someone you've given permission to invade that area of your life? Did you hear that? Is there someone that you have given permission to invade that area of your life. In AA, you are giving men and women permission to invade the area of chemical dependency of alcohol. I can't control this. You people are controlling it. And I'm going to make myself accountable to you as a group. So number one, is there someone you've given permission to invade that area of your life? If you have not, you'll not have victory in that area. Number two, do you allow them to get in your face in that area? Have you ever watched Biggest Loser? Jillian, that's the meanest little woman I've ever seen in my life. I mean, she'll have some big 400 and something pound guy. Man, he's just wobbling around there. And, 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 he'll be, and he'll be getting ready to do some, some of those exercises. And man, little old Jillian, she's just, like she just like a little gnat or a mosquito flying around them, getting up in their face, getting them. They'll be up on the treadmill, and she'll get up there behind them and just give them a mean look and right up in their face. I mean, that far from their face. And she'll just be just, just going at them, 90 to nothing, Say, don't you quit, don't you stop, don't you dare fall off my treadmill, don't you mess my treadmill up, get your hand up off that. She's just, just driving and driving. Anybody has been in the military ever had, a, ever had a drill sergeant, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, let me ask you this. Maybe we fail a lot of times in the body of believers... Because we never give anybody permission to invade an area of our life. We never allow them to get in our face in that area, even if it means they will hurt our feelings. Number three, do you understand and accept the goal of accountability? What's the goal of accountability? That there's a change in an area that I'm having difficulty with. Let me give you an example. Some people make the statement, you know, this year I'm going to watch my mouth. I've had people tell me this. You know, preacher, I need to watch my mouth. I say things and then later I regret them. I get called up in gossip at the office. There's just things that, that I need to change and I need, I, need, I need some accountability here. Okay, let me give you a verse here. Take a left and go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 because here's a key. When you're going to change an area of your life, probably you're going to find a scripture that has something to do with it. Okay? Now watch what Paul said in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.29, listen to what he said here. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Okay. Now, Now stay with me here. 
Because see, this is the problem. In fact, look this way for a minute. The problem is in a room like this, there's a, there's a lot of us at times in our life, we say things in our marriage, we say things as a parent, we say things as it, to the work in the work environment, we say things, we do things, we react, we lose control, and we allow unwholesome talk to come out of our mouth. Now, so here, this year, I make the statement in 2010, I want my mouth, I'm going to put a guard on my mouth, and I want to be held accountable here. Okay, now here's a good way to start. In Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, listen to this. Here, here it is. If it doesn't edify, if it doesn't build up, I don't say it. And if I've got a problem with my mouth, or I've got a foul mouth, or I lose my temper, or I've got a problem, I may have to go over here and say, Steve... I may have to go over this week to Steve and say, Steve, this is an area that God's convicted me of. I feel like it's affecting my marriage with Sheila. I feel like it's affecting my, my, my relationship with my children. I lose my, I, I lose control of my mouth. I say things I don't mean to say, and I need you to hold me accountable. And this is the verse God's given me. And he has every right, just like Jillian, to get in my face on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. He can text me. He can email me. He can call me. He can come to my home. He can come into my office. And he can say, how's it going in this area? And my friend, if Sheila comes in crying, and she tells him that I have lost my temper and said something, then he has every right to get in my face and look at me and say, you are lying to me. You're not being honest with me. You're not telling me the truth and you're lying to the Holy Spirit. This thing of accountability, when you and I become serious about being conformed in the image of the body of Christ, then we begin to get so serious that we draw other people in and we say, listen, I give you permission to invade this area of my life. If it's diet, if it's health, some of you will not see your grandchildren because of the way you live. Your diet and your health is out of control. Paul doesn't neglect, he doesn't put down. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.8, he tells Timothy, he says, for physical training is of some value. If he said it didn't matter, it didn't mean anything, it's not important, exercise and taking care of your body, he would have said it's of no value. He said it's of some value. Some in this room are ending their life early. They're slowly killing themselves by the diet that they consume. The best metallic club we ever had was when Steve shared uh, in a conversation last year with our senior adults and he began to weep and cry and he sung them a song and, he say, and, he, and before he sung that song, and he broke down and he cried and he had to finally stop. He couldn't even finish the song. It touched me as much as anything that we've ever done in Metallic Club. But it came down to this. If I remember, he said, Senior adults, we need you to take care of yourselves. We can't afford to lose one of you. Let me tell you, mom and dad, let me tell you, youth, let me tell you, young people, let me tell you, the people that are in this room right now, we desperately need you to take better care of yourself because we can't afford to lose one person in this room. We can't afford to lose you. 
Has it ever occurred to you that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy? He doesn't just simply come with a knife. He doesn't come with a criminal act. He doesn't simply come with alcohol. He doesn't come with drugs. He can come with an extra piece of pie. He doesn't care how he kills you as long as he does it. You see, and you may say, well, Brother Jeff, you're hard here. My friend, if somebody came into the, if a deranged maniac came into this room right now, walked into this sanctuary and took a can Coke and threw it down and took some food and threw it down and just sat there and stomped it into the carpet of this sanctuary, there would be some of you that would get up and you would be beside yourself. You'd be so angry. It's such disrespect for God's house. But you don't have a bit of problem trashing the temple that the Holy Spirit's living in in your personal life. I'll say it again, we can't afford to lose a person in this room and God knows you need to take better care of yourself than you are right now. I'd rather do anything than attend a funeral, even of a believer. Because I hate to see believers go because we need as many of them as we can. Finally, closing, what makes a good accountability partner? What makes a good accountability If you're going to be that other person, that accountability partner, what do you need to be? Well, you need to be disciplined in the very area that they need help. You see, the Bible says this in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 4 and 5. You know what Jesus said? He said, how can you get the splinter out of your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own? Now, you know there's something interesting there? He doesn't say, listen, don't worry about the splinter. What did he say? He said, listen, get the beam out of your eye so that you can get the splinter out of your brother's eye. He didn't say, oh, just forget it, judge not, you know, don't, don't worry about that splinter. You just worry about that beam in your own eye. No, he said, you get that beam, you take care of that beam so you can help your brother with that splinter. Okay, so what makes a good accountability partner? That person's disciplined. That person, number two, is dogmatic. They're unyielding. This is boot camp. I'm not going to let go of this. If you want me to be your accountability partner in this area, then I want you to know something. I'm going to be dogmatic. I'm going to be on your heels. So I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to be dogmatic. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to see it through periodically meeting with you, monitoring your progress. It's not just going to be me. When I give him permission to address this then I give him permission to come to me at any time, any moment, any interrupt, any time of the day, night, whenever he wants. He can call me at 2 o'clock in the morning because I've given him permission. And he has to be dogmatic. He has to be disciplined. He has to be diligent. He has to periodically say, Brother Jeff, you and I need to eat lunch together because there's some things I need to ask you. How is it going in this area? And I'm going to tell you what I tell some people. And I I know I need to close, but look at this. I'll look a man or woman in the eye and say, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. How's it going in that area? And when you look at somebody and say, listen, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth, man. How's it going in that area? Most people, most people almost without exception, they're going to turn their head, they're going to drop their gaze, they're going to do something. They can't take that. They can't look you in the eye and lie to you.
Paul tells Timothy, he says, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed. He says, Timothy, flee youthful lust. I mean, so many of those things are commands. He is in Timothy's face, pleading with Timothy. Because we have an enemy. And I can promise you this, you can't stand against him alone. And you may say, well, I have the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's right. But you also have brothers and sisters in the body of believers who are committed to help you. Let me close with this. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, he said, in times past, God spoke to our forefathers in many times and in various ways through the prophets. He said, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son, by his Son, through whom he appointed heir of all things and by which the universe is made. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He provided purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He became as much superior to the angels as the name He inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son and today I have become your Father. For I will be your father and you will be my son. And when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. For you, verse 9, have hated wickedness and you have loved righteousness and when I came to verse 9 of chapter 1 in February of 2009 God drove me to my knees I had a life changing experience on the front porch of my home by the time my wife got home she had gone to eat with Johnny and Kathy I was sitting in nukes with Johnny and Kathy on a Wednesday night in February of 2009 I was so broken that I couldn't I could not sit in nukes any longer I said I've got to go I've got to get out of here the presence of God was so moving on me I got in my vehicle I said Sheila we were in two vehicles I said you come home I said I- I've got to go now I left my food I got up and ran out of there I got home and I got to my front porch on February 2009 and I collapsed and God gave me a vision of something that I will never forget that I will carry to my grave it broke me and then God asked me the question do you hate wickedness do you hate Wickedness. Not do you hate wicked people. Not do you hate sinful people. Do you hate wickedness? Do you hate sin? Or are you just fellowshipping with it every chance you get? It broke me. And on February 27th, 22nd, I preached a message that shook me and should have shook in this church. You will never achieve the changes God wants to make in your life by yourself. You will re- it will require a spirit-filled member of the body of believers that says, when you give them permission, come alongside of me. Help me here. 
Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You and we thank You and we praise You, Lord. You alone are worthy to be praised. And Lord, we thank You that, dear Lord, that the writer of Hebrews put it so well. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word, after You provided purification for sin, You sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Some of us this year need to memorize the Word of God. And we need to find somebody that's doing it. And we need to say, will you help me? This is something that I need. Some of us in this room, there are areas of our life that the enemy's having victory over. But Jesus said, with two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst of them. And some of us need the accountability of another person two or three people to come alongside of us and to keep us disciplined and focused so that we can have victory, so that we in turn can help somebody else have victory. It's not for our good, it's for the greater good of the body of believers. So Father, I pray today that you speak to the hearts of every man, woman, boy and girl, and that you do something today that, dear Lord, will change our lives. That this week, this week, this time between Christmas and New Year's will be a time that we go into the prayer closet of our life and we take an inventory. And we take some things and we throw them away. And other things we think, you know, I need to restock this. This worked. This was good. I need to do more of this. I need to do less of that. God, may we pull someone alongside of us to help me. And Lord, may you do something in our lives today. But first of all, Lord, may we know that we're saved. And if there's one here that doesn't know that, may today, may they reach out in simple childlike faith and invite you into their life. God, do something today. And Lord, finally, would you help us to love righteousness? and hate wickedness. And Lord, we'll give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.